All right, Daniel 9. Now, we're not going to stand right away. I want to put things in context before we begin because I've been out of the pulpit. I, I was sharing in the first and second service that in the 14, almost 15 years I've been the pastor of the church, um, I, I haven't been out of the pulpit this much. I, I try not to be out of the pulpit more than four or five Sundays a year, and, and we're already into March, and I've been out more than I've ever been out in a given year. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be gone last Sunday, and uh, an event occurred that I really felt like God was calling me to do that, and uh, I went, um, and I struggled with the decision. I was blessed by Pastor Mark and the word I'd heard that he'd given. I was so encouraged by it. But um, suffice it to say, it's, it, it, was, it was troubling because um, being out of the pulpit, good or bad, and, and I, I don't know the dynamics of it, and I don't pretend to, but whenever I'm out of the pulpit, giving drops. And so that put us in a predicament. Um, we've got the lawsuit with Little Oaks pending. I, there was supposed to be our trial date. Three years we've been in this religious liberty lawsuit. And the trial was supposed to be on Monday. Uh, I was back in the East Coast. And uh, if the judge had said it, I had to have left and be at the courthouse within 24 hours. And I was burdened when I accepted the invitation to go back East. Uh, knowing that I could feasibly be called back within 24 hours to be at the hearing. They postponed the hearing till the 17th. God resolved that. Um, w- the uh, insurance company is providing one attorney. We need a second attorney to really have a, a strong case. Um, so we're looking at that. Uh, our school, the sale of our school is pending. It's, there's been one struggle after another, but I think we're at a place where it's all going to maybe come down on the 17th, uh, the hearing, the closing of the school. Num- uh, you know, we're, we're going to be able to sell the school. Um, and in addition, uh, we've been looking at properties. Uh, I'll share that in a moment. Uh, uh, we put a bid in on another property, and that fell through, and now we're looking at another property, and uh, we were putting some prospectus together to present to the person who wanted to help us with that. And, um, and then my dad was, you know, just... He was in the fetal position. They, they said it wasn't long. I, I kept asking my sister, do I need to come back? And she said, you know, Rob, I don't think so. You know, you've already said your goodbyes. And I didn't want to be there if he was passing. And I was burdened. Uh, he came through. He's, he's like, he's got the constitution of a government mule. Uh, he's, he's up and about. Um, he's still fading. I mean, he's got some struggles. But um, I'm going to be leaving tomorrow to go see him. And so all these things were in the air, a number of, plus in addition, running for city council and all that's entailed in that, as you all know. Um, and so I was, I was just burdened by it. And uh, I was at the California Republican Party, I'd been asked to speak. Uh, the chairman, Jim Brulte, invited me to come be one of the speakers for their breakfast. And I, I agreed to it. And I said, you know, Jim, uh, I'm going to share about the Lord. And his comment was, Rob, you took six million bullets for the Republican Party, meaning the money they spent against me. He said, you can share anything you want. And I did go, and it was well attended. They said it was the best attended breakfast in the history of the CRP. Uh, Sold more tickets than they sold when Karl Rove spoke. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. But more importantly, there were some folks in that that gathering that would really probably never darken the doors of a church that had a chance to hear about the Lord. And it was powerful to see in just one election cycle how God can do some amazing things. And, um, and so, you know, I'm, we're still in the process of doing another civic run and seeing what God wants to do. So as I finished speaking on that Sunday, I was at the airport in Sacramento getting ready to head back. I was calling, checking in. Um, the offering was low that Sunday. There's burdens with that. Um, 
you know, great concern. We have to look at what we need to cut because, like I said, I control expenses, not income. And I, I refuse to beg, borrow, or steal. I, you know, God knows what he's doing. And usually my job is, God, what are we doing wrong that you want us to fix? And um, so those calls were coming in. You know, it was low again, and, and I'm, I'm in the airport struggling over that. Uh, then another call comes in. You, you need to be there Monday uh, for the hearing. I said, I can't. I, all these things were coming to a head. And in the airport, I got a phone call. And uh, it was a very good friend, now becoming probably a dear friend, maybe a best friend in a sense. Um, and and it was, uh, his, his name's Dan Wilkes, his wife, Stacy. Um, they're the ones that we went to Israel with and then to Poland, London, and uh, and also over here at the Reagan Library when we did the Reagan Thatcher Pope John Paul tour. Uh, very wealthy couple. Uh, he's a billionaire. He owned a company called Fractech. And, um, and Dan was the one who, after the Reagan Thatcher Pope John Paul tour, he stayed a day with his wife and came to church and sat over here. And Dan came up after the service and, and said to me, Hey, Rob, he's got a West Texas drawl real slow. You're like, yes. You know? <laughs> he said, Hey, Rob. It's a wonder there's anybody in your church. And I said, well, what do, you, what do you mean, Dan? He says, you, you can't hardly find it. I mean, it's in, a, it's in a cul-de-sac off of a business road. Why does anybody even come? He said, and I go, well, Dan, we have the smartest congregation in the Conejo Valley. He's all, why is that? I said, because to find the church, you've got to be brilliant, you know? He laughed. He says, Rob, you need to be on the freeway. Like on the free? No. He said, you need to be on the freeway. I said, yeah, that'd be good. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. A couple days later, he called me. He says, so you found any property on the freeway? I go, Dan, I'm not looking. We, we're a conduit, not a reservoir. We don't save for stuff like that. If God can get it through us, he'll get it to us. I've, we've never saved for a building as long as I've been the pastor. He goes, I'm not asking you to save. I, I'm going to get it for you. Go find a building. Well, that changes everything, Dan. <laughs> And I have to tell you, since I shared that, giving's dropped because people are like, oh, billionaire's going to get a building. I have more dinner money. But I, I, did, I did say to Dan, I, I, I said, you know, Dan, I don't want the building to be in the hands of the church. I don't want to own property. because it won't be. The foundation will own it. We'll sublease it. And, and then the church, whatever percentage you're doing and you're offering now for the church, then that'll just be the percentage. And then that money goes into that bean patch thing you're talking about. And I said, okay, sounds good. And, um, and so we, we found another property. It was on the freeway. We, we did put a bid in on the Nazarene church and the Hindu temple ended up getting it. And there's one facility on the freeway, one. And 110,000 square feet. That's a lot of square footage. And it was already in escrow. It had been sold for 11 million. But the folks who were in escrow purchasing it said, well, we'll be willing to sell it to you guys. And they're two Christian guys, and we met, and it was really cool, and we walked through it and talked about it, and half of it would be RV storage, the other half would be the church, and we had plans drawn up, we put the prospectus together, we did all of our work like he asked us to, his accountant did a, like a forensic audit of, of our books and said, it's, you know, you guys got good books, and, and all these things, and so the packet was together, and I get this phone call when I'm at the airport in Sacramento coming out of the CRP, and, and it's Dan, and again, hey, Rob, I'm like, we got to hurry this up, Dan. I'm getting on the plane. Okay, okay. (laughs) 
Stacy and I are celebrating our... <laughs> I'm exaggerating. It seemed like that. Our 25th anniversary, we were wondering if you and Michelle would like to come and be with us. I'm like, Dan, I got a lot of irons in the fire. Um, would I be able to present the prospectus to you if I came? Yeah, we could do that. That'd be good. Well, let me pray about it. Yes. Because <laughs> what you didn't hear is he said, we're going to do it at our place in the Turks, Turks Caicos, in the Caribbean. Yes. But I was still burdened because to leave, we're still going to be in a predicament. The lawsuit was on Monday. I'd have to, I said, Dan, I'm probably going to have to fly back. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And I was burdened. I was struggling. I was talking with the elders and some of the pastors and, you know, what's the course of action? And, well, maybe, and I'm not going to bring the prospectus up unless he asks. I was just going to take it with me. If he didn't talk about it, I wasn't going to talk about it. I don't ask for money. I don't do that. I do in the election, but I don't do in the church. I'm starting to talk like him. So we went and we left Saturday and uh, we flew to Dallas and then drove to Cisco and he had a jet. We flew from his jet to his beach house. His beach house, Google it, Emerald K Turks. Emerald K Turks. It's not a beach house, it's an island. And it's resplendent. And I've never done anything like that in all my life. But in the course of the time I was there, I slept probably three hours a night. I couldn't sleep, I was burdened, I was laboring uh, over the concerns all the stuff. Um, it, it was a spiritual battle like nothing I've ever experienced. It was a beautiful location. We did wonderful things. I went spear fishing. As I cut my head, I was on top, getting ready to spear a, for those who go, oh, he's spear Yeah, I do. And I, I was getting ready to spear um, a yellow snapper and a wave hit. I was just underneath a ledge under, you know, in a cave and I was just above it and just getting ready to hit that thing and the wave hit and I went into the rock. I'm like, <laughs> I missed it, but I got the other one later. And it's in my belly. And uh, it's delicious. But it was a lot of fun, you know. Manta rays, saw whales. Uh, I did things I'd never do in a in hundred lifetimes. And um, came back. And I was supposed to be back Friday because I had an event I had to go to on Saturday. I wasn't feeling well. I got a little lung thing. And my, my wife's real sick. She's at home. And, and Dan goes, well, we're, you can't go back Friday. We've got to be in Baton Rouge on Friday. We've got dinner there. And I, I can't get a flight out of New Orleans. He said, we won't be back till late. So you have to take a flight in the morning. I'm like, okay. And a flight is my company, Jet Southwest. <laughs> I had to get out of the chariot into my pumpkin. <laughs> so, so I said, why are we going to Baton Rouge? He said, well, David Lane, he's one of our elders. He set up a meeting with Governor Bobby Jindal. We're going to have dinner at the mansion with him. I'm like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you the picture. We have it. You guys Ready? So that's Governor Jindal's wife. There's Michelle Mead. And look at the next one. Next one. He's talking. We're at a dinner in the mansion in, in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Governor Jindal loves Jesus with all of his heart. He's one of the most outspoken believers I've ever seen in office. He, 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 is, he comes from a Hindu background. His mom and dad are Hindu. And, and he turned and he says, hey, pastor, would you pray for all of us at the table? And would you say a prayer for my mom and dad? My dad's struggling health-wise and he doesn't know Jesus. Would you pray for his salvation for me? I'm burdened over that. And so we prayed at the table, and, and he started to tell his testimony. And he said to me, 
He said, Rob, uh, what are things that are non-negotiable for you in your faith that, that no one can ever cause you to compromise? And I listed a few of them. He said, Rob, those things are the things that you're willing to lose an election on. He said, don't ever waver even if you're going to lose something. He said, when I was in a debate, they asked me what was the most amazing event that's ever occurred in your life. He said, I didn't even think twice about it. First thing, when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He said, my consultant, was, his head was down and the campaign manager's head was down and everybody was gasping in the room. And I shared that. He said, later people came to me and said, you know, you could lose the election on this. And he said, when I became a Christian, I lost my family. You think I'm afraid to lose a political race over my faith? I was so moved by that man. And in addition, around that table, the men that were serving us were prisoners from Angola prison. Angola prison for years was known as the most vile prison in America. There was a, a murder a day in Angola prison. Uh, Dave Lane's dad, Jerry Lane, uh, started and in, in invested in a program where they brought in a, uh, the warden brought in a seminary, uh, um, set up a seminary through one of the, the seminaries in the country and started to educate these men. They're all lifers, all are lifers. And they started to grow in their faith they planted churches in each of the separate wards. One ward would send missionaries into the other to start the church within Angola. The whole place, there's no murders there anymore. You can walk through Angola prison and you don't have to worry about a thing. We're surrounded by lifers. These men have committed murder. They, they've got hatchets in the kitchen. They've got knives at the table. They can do it. And they're there and they're absolutely trusted and, and they love the Lord. And I, you know, a highlight for me, yes, sitting with Governor Jindal and his wife, lovely couple, but more importantly, going back into the kitchen and telling these men how amazing they are. You know, when you see these ladies up here from Teen Challenge, and then you see with Governor Jindal, and you see, you know, they've cut their spending by 30%, their government spending. This is a, a state that is renowned for corruption, and watching the transformation of a state and seeing Christ infused in a governor who's standing, I wouldn't write him off. If he runs for president, he's going to be a dark horse. He, I, I, I wouldn't write him off. Nothing can move that man. He will not compromise. And so we sat there and had a lovely evening, and I was touched by his testimony and his life. And then we came back to Cisco overnight, had to get up early and, and drove out and got back here. And uh, Michelle's real sick and I'm, I'm recovering, but I wasn't going to miss this Sunday because in preparing for this morning, uh, I, I was asking the Lord why I was so burdened and getting up in paradise and only sleeping three hours. I'd get up at 3.30 in the morning and wait for the sun to rise and I'd, I'd just be burdened. I'd be burdened over the finances. I'd be burdened over the lawsuit. I'd be burdened over the property. I'd be burdened over all these things. And I'm just talking to the Lord. I'm reading scriptures. I'm struggling. It, it, was, it was intense to the point where Michelle was even calling me. Are you all right? I said, I, I don't, I'm just over, it's, it's heavy. And as I prepared for the message, God ministered to my heart through Daniel 9. Daniel 9 is a, a prayer of Daniel's. And it was after, and I'll put it into context, it was after Daniel had received the vision that we studied in the previous weeks. You know, the beasts, and what's coming down in the 70 weeks he's going to talk about in the last portion of Daniel 9. But as this is revealed to Daniel, we saw in chapter 8 that he was so overwhelmed, he was physically exhausted. And, and his body was breaking down. And that's what I was sensing. And he was seeing the sins of his nation. He was seeing his own sins. He was overwhelmed by what was coming and the impending doom and what had happened to Israel and all these things and the sins of the people. And, and it was Gabriel who came and, and gave him an interpretation of the vision. And his response in Daniel 9 is to just cry out to God in this prayer that we'll read in a moment. 
And at the conclusion of this prayer where he's struggling, we're not going to go into the 70 weeks that, that Gabriel reveals to him, but we'll stop at the point where God sends Gabriel and he's hastened to come to Daniel and he says some very special words to Daniel that touches Daniel, that touched me and I pray touches you. God couldn't have said anything more, more special uh, to my heart. And then I didn't know what was happening this morning. When I walked in, I saw the Teen Challenge ladies. Uh, you know, they ministered to my heart. Before your eyes was the power of God. You go out and you look at those pictures before and after and what God does. Death to life, death to life, death to life. And I was touched. Now, nothing's changed. We're still, everything's in limbo. Um, I'll share this last thing and then we'll read. I, I, I don't, I don't want to, it, it, it's somebody else's story to share, but I can share a little bit of it. Had I not gone on that trip, if, if nothing else, I went on that trip. If, had I not gone on that trip, somebody would have been dead. God used me to save somebody's life. Um, I won't go into details, but and I thought, Lord, if that's all there is, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm trying to figure out, be in his stride. Lord, is there something you want me to give up? Do you, do you want me not to run for count? Do you want me not to? What is it, Lord? And when he showed me in Daniel 9, it just settled my heart. And I pray it does for you as well. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Daniel writes, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who, made, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Ahasuerus, by the way, is Esther. It coincides with Esther. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you hope in the future. He gave that to the Israelites before he sent them into exile. Daniel's reading this, and he's blown away by it. And he's starting to calculate through his study of the scriptures what's transpiring. He says, so it's specified by the word of the Lord, Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Verse 3 then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He's just crying out to God, and he's denying himself and seeking the Lord. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. You notice how he says we. Yeah, he's including himself. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings or our princes, to our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, those near and those far off and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face. To our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which we have set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole of heaven, such has never been done as to, as to what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. 
Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does. Though we have not obeyed his voice, and now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are now a reproach to those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servants and his supplications, And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not represent our our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I had seen in the vision at the beginning, that's chapter 8, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Stop for a minute. Evening offering. He was reflecting back on a time in his childhood when they would offer the, they would have the evening offering at the temple where they would sacrifice the animal for the sins of the people. He, there was no evening offering in Babylon. He was surrounded by paganism and idolatry. He was reflecting back to a time in his childhood, seeing the blood flowing from the altar and just crying out and saying, God, that blood was shed because your people are sinful people. And he's crying out at the mercy seat that doesn't even exist. So at that time, he was still celebrating or still participating in an evening offering, even though the temple was gone. In verse 22, and, he, and Gabriel, Gabriel informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you. Now listen, for you are greatly beloved. You have no idea how that ministered to me. I want you to hear that again. For you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And then he goes into this heavy vision. But Daniel, before you can see all the struggles of the world around you and the nation in which you're crying out for, before you can see what God's going to do, before you're going to face all of this misery and the heaviness of it, you need to grasp something. You're loved of God. Now, if you get nothing out of this service, you better get that, that you're beloved of God. That's the point of the service this morning. There's more to it. Pay attention. But if, if you're short on attention, grasp that. Let's ask God to bless our time. Lord, I think of the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And Lord, we struggle over being loved by you. Lord, we see all the struggles in our life and we come to this understanding that there's obviously something we've done to be faced with what we're dealing with. And yet, Lord, you allow these trials in our life for our benefit and for our good. And you love us even in the midst of the trials. You love us and you're working it together for good. And God, I pray that we'd be able to grasp that and hold on to it and be blessed by it. I pray that you'd minister to your people. We thank you for the ladies who came today. We ask, Lord, through that illustration of their lives that this message would would be clearly understood and received and applied. And so we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take a load off.
So Daniel is crying out to God. Now, I, I, I confess I struggle with Daniel. I don't struggle with David. I don't struggle with Abraham. I don't struggle with John the Baptist. I don't really even struggle with Enoch. These are all men beloved of God. These are all men that are after God's own heart. These are all men that are lifted in scripture. I can relate to them. I struggle relating to Daniel. Here's a guy that was taken from his home. His parents were killed. His, his nation was destroyed. His house was burned. He was sent into exile into a pagan nation. He, he wouldn't eat the king's delicacies. He was, he was thrown into the lion's den in his 80s, maybe, maybe older. You know, this is a man that, that his life, he never forgets the, the, the offerings. He prays three times a day. He faces towards Jerusalem. This, at 13 years of age, he is strong in the Lord. He's faithful in the Lord. He's, he's unmovable. And, and I'm thinking, I, I, my life doesn't reflect Daniel's. I can relate to a guy like Abraham who blows it. I can relate to a guy like David who blows it. I mean, David was an adulterer, a liar, a murderer. Abraham, I mean, you know, this is a man that was loved of God. You look at Moses, the friend of God. You look at Enoch, the same thing. He walked with God. But in each of their cases, they all had struggles. In, in Abraham's case, you think about Abraham. Here's a guy that told his wife, Sarah, you know, we have to leave her of Chaldees. It was a gated community. It had running water. It was, you know, really beautiful place. They moved to Canaan, which is in the middle of nowhere. They get there. There's a, a drought in the land. There's a famine in the land. He disobeys God, heads down to Egypt, lies to the Pharaoh, insults his wife, is kicked out of Egypt. Uh, he brings with him Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, and, and he ends up back in the thing, and God gives him a vision that he's going to have a child, and he's thinking, I'm, I'm too old to have kids. I'm in my 90s. Sarah's in her 80s, and it wasn't until Abraham was almost 100, and Sarah was almost 90, and they're just saying, you know, Abraham's already bragging to everybody that he's going to have a child, and he cuts a covenant, and he's waiting for the Lord to bless his wife with a child, and she's in her 80s, 90s. I mean, there isn't a gynecologist in all of the area that would say that's possible. I don't know if that's the right word. What would be another doctor? That's all that came to mind and probably everybody's uncomfortable. Let's move on. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's this, there's this struggle. And, and while he's there, he's having a crisis of faith. And so is Sarah. Sarah's the one who's burdened by it. She's, she's already had to deal with her husband lying. She sees a man that has, you know, an amazing faith, but he also has this, this ability to compromise his faith. And she sees kind of a dichotomy of two men and she's, she's loving him and trying to believe in him, but she sees the struggles in him and she is a consummate servant, servant and she's an amazing wife to the point where Jesus even reflects on her like Sarah, who's, who's you know, daughters you are. And I mean, it's a, a beautiful picture of a faithful woman, but she's tormented and struggling because all of the burden of his bragging falls on her and she's barren. And everyone's going, where's this kid that you're talking about, Abraham? And, and, you know, Sarah's having to face this. She's barren. That's already, you know, she's a penny looking for change in that culture because not only, you know, if, if you couldn't have a male child, you were less than good. If you couldn't have any children at all, you were worthless. And just a woman in that culture was considered half of a man as far as testimony was concerned. So she's just feeling miserable. And so finally, one day she just comes to Abraham. She says, you know, Abraham, God's withheld my womb. You might as well go in and sleep with Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, and have a child through her. And in the world's eyes, that's legitimate, and the child could be considered theirs. And, and, uh, and you know, Abraham looks at Hagar and looks at Sarah and says, that's a good idea, woman. Goes in and sleeps with Hagar. I got news for you. That's not what Sarah meant. Women do say one thing. It means something else. A couple agree with me. I think Sarah was saying, Abraham, would you remind me of the promises of God? Would you, I, I'm struggling over what everyone's whispering and all the words that they're saying. Would you remind me again what God said? And that's why the Bible says, husbands, bathe, bathe your wife in the water of the word. Reassure her. 
And, you know, Sarah's just trying to figure this all out and she's feeling, you know, self-image miserable and she just turns to her husband just trying to invoke him to say words of compassion. She says, well, maybe I guess you should just sleep with Hagar, you know, in this, in this brokenness and this hurt. And Abraham doesn't dwell with his wife with understanding as the scripture says. Instead, he goes, yeah, okay, let's, let, where is she? Let's do this. And of course, you know, Ishmael's born. That's the father of the Islamic world. Isaac is the father of the Jewish and the Christian world. There's a war today because Abraham didn't heed the voice of the Lord. He heed the voice of his wife. And, his, and the words from his wife were just words of struggle. And, and her faith was, you know, she was just, she wanted to be comforted. And I look at Abraham. I've done that with my wife. My wife is trying to invoke out of me comfort from the Lord. And, and I'm just, I don't see it. You know, one of the struggles is after we'd gone through this intense issue in the Turks <clears throat> and we, we finally were leaving to get to the airport, we're driving and I had forgotten to change the flight. Excuse me. <coughs> I'd forgotten to change the flight. So when we called to try to get her on my flight, I could do it on mine, but I, I, I couldn't get hers. The flight was sold out. And Michelle's like, why didn't you do that? And why didn't you say, I'm, I don't need this. I got so much on my mind. And, and she was struggling because she was coming down with the illness and she was overwhelmed and she was burdened and she just wanted to be comforted and reassured. And I took it as an affront, like you're attacking my ability to plan this. I'll take care of it. I was an Abraham. I can't relate to Daniel. I can relate to Abraham. I can relate to David, even Enoch. You know, it says he walked with God. He didn't walk with God until Methuselah was born. And God says, name him Methuselah. And this child's born, and he goes, what's Methuselah means? It means after he dies, judgment comes. Enoch's like, well, let's keep this kid alive, you know? I gotta be a good dad. I gotta do something about this. And so he starts to walk with God and to portray before his son a godly picture. And, and he's, he's translated, taken up with God. Every man struggles. I can relate to that. But Daniel, but what's so comforting to me is Daniel is crying out to God in supplication, pouring his heart out in a prayer after this unbelievable dream is revealed to him by Gabriel. He's burdened to the point where he's physically sick and he's overwhelmed. I mean, he's walking in Turks Caicos and he doesn't sleep either. He is overwhelmed. And he's burdened by the sins of his people. He's burdened by his own sins. He's, he's reflecting back on the evening sacrifice and the blood on the altar and what God requires. And he's just thinking, we are a, a sinful people in the presence of a holy God. And no wonder we're here in Babylon. No wonder we're scattered throughout the world. No wonder our nation is in flames. And, and as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, does God even want to save America? We, we lead the, the world in abortion. We're, we're struggling. Everything we see is, is decrying God and removing him from every portion of our, of our nation. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, God, are you finished with us? And as I'm, I'm laboring over this, and I'm, I, I'm uh, these, are, am I wasting my time? Lord, am, I, I'm not the guy for this. What am I doing flying on a plane to a, a billionaire's island? This doesn't make sense. God, why, what, why would we move? I'm happy here. Yeah, it's hard to find, but these people are amazing. And, we, and I like it this way. I have a, an ability to preach a church down to a manageable size. It's good. We're all right with it. <laughs> Lord, you know, running for office, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Maybe, it, maybe you're, you're just, maybe that's not what you want to do. 
and I'm struggling over it. I can think of a thousand reasons just by my own life, personally, my own sins, the things that I cry out to God for. I can think of a thousand reasons why God wouldn't want to have us win the lawsuit, make it my fault. I can think of a thousand reasons why he wouldn't give us a new home, my fault. I can think of a thousand reasons, you know, why, why the giving is down, my fault. I, Lord, I'm the guy. And, and, and at that point, it, it, I almost felt like when I was praying to the Lord, I was his, his employee. And I was coming to him and saying, you know, God, I've, I've kind of screwed up in, in the management of, of the territory of the company portion that you've entrusted to me. And I'm, I'm going to my boss to lay out these things. And, 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 and I just said, you know, God, I, I just feel like I've let you down. And he spoke to my heart and he just said, Rob, I didn't hire you. You're not my employee. I gave birth to you. You're my son. And you know, in the process of that, my dad was close to dying. And I'm like, Dad, I'm not even a good son to my earthly dad. Why do you call me your son? I'm in the Turks and my dad is, is, Lord, I don't get you. Why me? Why this? What, what are you telling me? And it wasn't relaxing. You know, for those of you who think I, I took this junket, I, I went there with this pamphlet. I wasn't going to present it to him unless he brought it up. And, and I'm getting calls and, and, you know, the offering last Sunday and the things that we're facing. And I'm like, and, and the Lord just reminded me, I didn't hire you. I gave birth to you and you're my son. And we need to get this right if we're going to go any further. I still didn't get it. And, and when I got home and I, I opened the word and, and I'd been reading through it, but it, it wasn't until I got to the last portions in 21 through 23, when Gabriel, great Gabriel appeared to, to Daniel when Gabriel appeared to Daniel, I got to tell you, that's trippy. I mean, Daniel's sitting there praying and he's just crying out and he's pouring out his heart to God. And he says, I've done this and we as a people have done this. He includes himself in every aspect. And I'm comforted by that because I'm thinking, Daniel, what could you confess? Daniel, you know, from history in his words is saying basically, Rob, you have no idea. I may be, you know, presented in the scriptures as this, this, and this, but the reality is I got a lot to lay before the Lord just like you. And I was comforted by that. And as he's pouring out his heart to God and he's repenting and he's supplicating to God, out of nowhere, speedily, the scripture says, swiftly, God sends an angel, Gabriel, to him. Now you can imagine that. Oh, Lord, you know, sends over there. Whoa! You know, and this angel just comes flying in. <laughs> swiftly, I flew. That's what he said, flew. You know, angels have six wings. Two cover their face, two cover their feet, and they fly with the others. They holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the cherubim and seraphim, and I mean they're trippy creatures, and they can take on the appearance of humans, but they're just—I mean, when you see an angel, most people fall on their face and they're frightened. And one angel wiped out 187,000 Assyrians, and Gabriel comes in. Daniel seeing him before. He's like, "Whoa, what are you doing here?" He goes, "I was sent by the Lord because of your supplications. I've now come, and I've come to give you skill and understanding." At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you. I came swiftly to tell you. And I can imagine probably frightened Daniel in the middle of his prayer. When, when I was young, we used to, for about a year, the guys I hung around with, we tried to scare each other all the time, you know, and sneak up, boo, uh, and we'd laugh, ha, 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 and I, I'm going to have heart problems in about a year, I'm sure. I, I did that to my wife once, and I don't do it anymore. She didn't like it. We have this window that, that's right by the sink and it opens up to the side where our barbecue is and we hand meat in and through. It's my favorite window because meat passes through it. <laughs> 
And, and, and she was doing dishes, and, I, was, and I, I saw her doing dishes, and I just stood at the window. And it's dark outside, you know, and she's washing, and she looks, ah! I'm like, ah, I got you. Don't ever do that again. That's just not right. So I know how, I know how Daniel felt when Gabriel showed up. He's like, Bruh! and his heart stopped. And at that moment, at that moment, this is when Gabriel says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, Daniel, I want you to understand this. I've come for you are greatly beloved. When I read those words, and I'd read them a number of times throughout the course of the week, but it was, it was last night and this morning, it just hit me. You are greatly beloved. Not only did God want Daniel to know that in the midst of his crying out and his sin and his struggle and the burden of his people and his own burdens, he wanted me to know it, and more importantly, he wants you to know it. Not, not more importantly, but all of us to know it. And we think, what do you mean greatly beloved? Before we're going to go into all the stuff that we're facing, before we're going to deal with all the stuff we're facing, it's always going to be there. There's only going to be trials. Just fill in the blank. You got your own, I got mine. But here's what happens in the trials. In the trials, you become so overwhelmed, like Daniel was, that you're physically exhausted. You get sick. Your wife gets sick. In the midst of the trials, you begin to doubt that God would even want to move on your behalf because of all of your failures. And you just begin to list them to the Lord. Is there anything I've forgotten? And God's really interesting. He, he, refle- he reveals other things to you. You're like, oh, thanks. Okay, that too. My bad, you know. And, and, and it's in the midst that you hear another voice, and that's Satan's voice. And Satan comes and he says, you know what? You've labored too long, Rob. You know, this is a little overwhelming. You, you got that right. You know, you just need a little me time. And he whispers in your ear, you, you know how to compensate for the struggles. You know how to, those sins that easily beset you, they're not sins, they're just coping mechanisms. And it's okay, God will forgive you, he's merciful. Just indulge yourself. Now, you fill in the blank, you have your own, and if you stand in judgment of me, to the level you judge, you will be judged, and lightning will strike you right now. <laughs> but I just, I just said to the Lord, you know, I, 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 I can't do this anymore. And that's when the voice comes in, well, you know, Rob, you don't need to do this anymore. You don't need to labor anymore. And it's fascinating that when you listen to the voice of the enemy and you engage or you indulge in a sin that easily besets you, the minute you do that, Satan turns his hat around and he becomes the accuser of the brethren. You pathetic loser. You waste of space. God doesn't want anything to do with you. Why are you even bothering praying? You can't even walk a straight line. You're crying out to God and the next thing you know, you're taking matters into your own hands and you're doing stuff that God despises. God despises you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. And that voice is so condemning that you just sit in this malaise of misery and condemnation and you're just thinking, God, why am I here? What? It, what? And, and I could see it in Daniel. In the midst of it, through God's word, as, as Daniel was laboring God's word, God spoke to him. And as I was laboring God's word, he spoke to me. You're beloved of me. You're not my employee. You're my son. And I love you. And I would say, God, how can you love me with what I've done? And God says, I never loved you because of what you've done. I love you because of what my son has done. Whoa. Uh, Run that by me again. Ephesians 1.6, Paul wrote this. Paul was a guy who struggled. He, he would write in Romans, those things I want to do, those I don't do, and those things I don't want to do, those I do, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a guy that struggled with those voices. He would write continually in every epistle that he would write, he would start by saying, beloved in Christ, speaking to the Christians around the world. 
In Ephesians 1.6, he says, to the praise and the glory of God's grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The beloved is his son. We're accepted in his son. God said to me, Rob, I don't love you because of what you've done or haven't done. I love you because of what my son has done. I love you in him. When I look at you, I don't see your sin. I see his blood covering your sin. I don't see your unrighteousness. I see my son's righteousness. You have been adopted into my family and all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been cleansed by the blood of my son who died in your place. And that is what has made you righteous. That's why I love you because I love my son and I love you. And I'm like, God, that's pretty cool. You know, you think in Luke chapter three, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, I think it's verse 22. John puts him under the water and he comes up and it's a picture of the Trinity. The sun's in the water, he comes up, the heavens open up, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. Not a dove, but in the form of a dove, descends. And then the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now at that point, when the Spirit descended... And the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus had never committed, he hadn't committed a single miracle at that point. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't died on a cross. He hadn't fed the thousands. He hadn't raised the dead. He didn't cause the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. He didn't do any of that. But he was beloved. Why? Because it was written, lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book. I've come to do thy will, O God. Now, Jesus got it done. He always abided in the father. The amazing thing about David, what made him beloved of God was the fact that In David's failure, he still repented to God. In the midst of his failure, he was still convicted by his God. In the midst of his victory, he gave glory to God. He never abandoned God because he knew God had never abandoned him. He still took responsibility and confessed his sins, but he never lost that relationship with the Lord. God knows we're flawed creatures. And David would repent and teach sinners of of his ways to, to change them and transform them because he had experienced the mercy. He gave the mercy. That's why he was beloved of God. And what's fascinating is that when the spirit descended upon Jesus and and the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Immediately after that, it says that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness where he faced, he was without food for 40 days. The scripture says he hungered, which means he was on the verge of death because if you know fasting, hunger disappears. And and then when you come to a critical point where if you don't get something to eat within a, 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 a few hours, you're gonna die. And the body kicks it in because it doesn't want to waste energy of you searching. But at that moment saying it's critical, if you don't get something to eat, you're going to die. And so at that moment, at the most critical juncture physically in Jesus's earthly life, Satan appeared to him and that's when the temptations came. And the first thing he said to him is he said, basic, the, the, the understanding in the scripture is you and I both know that you're the son of God. And really what he's also saying is not only are you the son of God, but God the Father's abandoned you. You need to take matters into your own hands, voice of Satan, and turn those stones into bread. And Jesus responded, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He just kept reflecting back on the Father. If I do anything other than what the Father wants, I'm not a good son. Everything my Father does is good. I I don't understand him. I don't get him. I'm at the verge of dying, but I'm not going to abandon him because he's never abandoned me. And and it was there after the temptations that the angels, just like with Gabriel, came and comforted and strengthened Jesus. But what was fascinating about Satan's temptation 
is that when he came to Jesus right after the baptism, when, when the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, Satan came and said, you and I both know that you're the son of God. But what he left out was beloved. Satan is in the business of convincing you God has finished with you and you have no business being in his kingdom or being his child. He wants you to think you're not loved. He wants you to think that, that you, you have no right to be in his family. You're an employee. And he keeps, he keeps a record. And every time you fail, it's your fault. And you're pathetic. And Satan is going to put you on an island and dump on you. And it doesn't matter if you're in an island in the Turks. You can be in an island in your own room. And you listen to that voice of condemnation and God says to you, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Nothing. The Apostle Paul writes, depth nor height nor width, nothing, nothing. You're beloved. Daniel, Daniel Gabriel says, Daniel, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You're beloved of God. You're, you're labored, you're struggling, you've, you've poured out your heart. We get all that, it's covered. You were reflecting back in your childhood of the blood on the altar in the evening sacrifice, perfect. And that blood is there to represent to you that I've taken care of it. The blood that Christ shed is taking care of it. You're right with God. All of your sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven. What does that do for us? What does that do for us? Well, this is where we come to the conclusion of the message because Satan never questioned that Jesus was the son of God. He just left out that he was beloved of God. I look at what one author says. He says, you are God's beloved, not because of what you do, because Christ did everything. He's God's beloved. But God put you in Christ. That is why you are accepted in the beloved. And what God said to Jesus, he says to you today and to me, you are my beloved son, daughter, and you, I'm well pleased. Close your eyes for a minute, please. Close your eyes. God's speaking to you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. With your eyes still closed, push out the lies, the condemnation. God wants to work in and through you. You are beloved. In Jesus, amen? Okay. Now with that, we're gonna to come to the close. Satan's gonna to try to convince you God doesn't love you. Satan's gonna to try to make you think that you are an employee, not a son or a daughter. I was thinking about the idea in Matthew 22, it says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And the Sadducees were the lawgivers. And they were always trying to trip him up. You broke the law, you broke the law, you broke the law, you broke the law. And Jesus silenced them. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question and testing him. He wasn't seeking the answer. He just wanted to mess with him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, Jesus said. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. Okay, Lord. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, but I don't. I want to love my neighbor, let alone love my wife, and I don't. Why? God took me to 1 John chapter 4. Pay attention. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Put this in your bag and take it home. There's no fear in love, Rob. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Christ... Because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us this much. There was nothing in us redeemable, but he loved us. You and I, who are covered by the blood of the Lamb, are beloved in Christ. God was saying, Rob, I don't love you because of what you've done or haven't done. I love you because of what my son has done. He loved you. I love you. That's it. And when you get that, the overflowing of your heart will cause you to love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right? Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, change, like these women. And in addition, you'll be able to love your neighbors yourself. Watching how these women love each other and loved on us. That is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, yes. Last verse. Luke 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Jesus is saying this. If you then, being evil, which we all are, know how to give good gifts to your children, which we love to do, almost to the point of spoiling them, rotten. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit, yes. The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of love. How does it work? The same way it worked when Jesus was baptized. Dead to yourself, alive to Christ. Dead to your will, alive to the will of the Father. The heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends. This is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. You see, the Holy Spirit is with us. He's with all men, even if you're not a Christian this morning. He's with you. He brings conviction of sin. He speaks to you and tells you that you need to get right with God. You struggle over your life. You try to find it in drugs and alcohol, in the bed of people who don't love you and care about you and abuse you. You struggle with identity of what the world wants to put upon you, and you find yourself cast to the side and trampled. And the Holy Spirit is with you, calling you to the Father, calling you to the Father through the Son. And by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you say, God, would you save me? Father, save me. And what happens is Christ comes in. The Holy Spirit comes in you. You receive Christ. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes in you. And this is the powerful thing. And then the other preposition in the Greek is the Holy Spirit is upon you. The idea api, upon, in the Greek, it means to overflow. So you go into the water, you come out, and when you hug somebody, you get them wet. 
Overflowing is the idea that once you were all selfish and you would take drugs, even meant destroying your children and your parents and, and those who care about you and you're self-indulged and you're, you're mean and you're caustic and you're, you're discarded. And then all of a sudden you realized you're in Christ. You're beloved. God died for you in the midst of your sin. His kindness leads you to repentance. You, you receive his love. You, you understand 1 John 4, 9, we love him because he first loved us. Oh God, you love me. Yes, Rob, I do. And now with my love, I'm gonna give you the power by my spirit to overflow that love and to love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbors yourself. And now you see it, an illustration today for you from God in the lives of these women. They were overflowing and you were touched. But I'll tell you a quick way to shut that down. Just listen to the lies of the enemy. Just think that you're an employee of God and not a child that he birthed and loves. When that hit me, especially early this morning, I was undone. Just so grateful. Nothing's changed. All the problems are still there. He just said, Rob, I've got this. I've got this. And I love you. And I began the work and I'm faithful to complete it. And whatever door you walk through, I'll go before you. I can't tell you what a peace and a relief that is to my soul. And I want you to receive that. I want that to overflow to you. I want you to leave here knowing you're beloved of God. We'll still get into the 70 weeks. It'll be heavy. We still all have all the problems facing us when we leave this room. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. How does he strengthen us? Through his and by his love. Go light it up. Get it on everybody. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that in the life of a man like Daniel, we can still see a man confessing his sin at the evening offering and reflecting back in his childhood of that blood flowing on the altar and realizing, God, you've covered it all. And your kindness, your forgiveness has led me to repentance that I would serve you and love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind and love my neighbors myself. Lord, I'm done loving me. I'm ready to love others. All I need to know is I'm beloved of you and the rest is just details. Now there's some of you right now in the presence of this room, you've heard this sermon and you're struggling because you don't have a relationship with God. You've never received his love. He died on the cross for you. He's ready to forgive you. He's ready to love in and through you. He's ready to transform you. But by faith, you need to receive that. It's by faith through grace that you're saved. It's not by works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You're not his employee. He's come that you might be his child. And the way you do that, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's an act of faith. I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to that. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And the way that I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to this is I'm gonna say, if you wanna receive Christ as your savior and become a child of God and no longer live under the condemnation of what you appear to be as an employee or a struggling person on this earth with no purpose and direction, today God wants to make you his child. He wants to redeem you and transform you and pour his love in and through you. If you're ready for a touch like that and have your life transformed like the women that were before you, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want you to respond by faith. And here's how you're gonna do it. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment to raise your hand to receive Christ. The gift is given to you and you're gonna raise your hand to receive it. 
So right now, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior and be beloved of God and a child of the King, right now, raise your hand. Put him up. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for those who gave their heart to you this morning. Thank you that they know that they're beloved of you. Thank you, God, that we've received this message that no matter what faces us when we walk out this door, we're beloved of God. And Lord, whatever problems we're facing as a fellowship and personal or whatever it is, Lord, you've got it. And we trust you. But we want to love like you've loved us. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's clap for those folks who gave their heart to the Lord.